Good morning, Fellowship family. How y'all doing? If you're doing good, say I am. All righty. Well, we got a fun morning plan for you. Uh, we got we're doing going to do things a little differently. We're not going to put lyrics on the screen. So, and that is, uh, we had some technical uh, issues this morning. We know what piece of gear is out. We just can't run to the store and get it. So, but that's okay. We don't need graphics or lyrics or fonts or text to worship Jesus this morning. Amen. All we need is Jesus, amen, and a grateful heart. So um, because of that, I want you just to know uh, and have the freedom to um, not sing if you don't know the song or go for it even if you don't know the song. <laughs> you just might, I don't know, whatever. You might want to just be aware of your, your neighbor as you do that. Um, but anyway, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite you to stand as we're coming in. Just make sure you also... Make room for those who might be coming in a little late. But, uh, you know, Jesus, obviously, Jesus is the only thing that can withstand the weight of our worship, like eternally, you know, like gear fails, things happen. Um, uh, but Jesus is constant in our lives, amen? And so this morning, we can rejoice not in our stuff, but uh, in Jesus, amen. And, and we can stand here, okay, justified, not by what we do, what we don't do, by what we have or what we don't have, but because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? So we're gonna worship the Lord this morning. We're gonna focus on that, our justification by Jesus Christ. And there's a line we'll get to, it won't be on the screen, but there's a line we'll eventually get to in our singing. It says, for God the just was satisfied to look on him, him being Jesus, and pardon me. What a good God we serve, amen. Amen. What love could remember no wrongs we Omniscient and all-knowing, he still counts not their sin. Thrown into a sea with no bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. Sing the chorus out if you know it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.
have the truth, amen? And we have voices and we have man. So let's just give the Father a hand clap of praise, a thank you, an audible thank you that says thank you for Jesus, your mercy and your grace. Let's continue singing. What riches of kindness he's lavished. What riches of kindness he's lavished. His blood. His blood. His life. His life was the call. We stood. We stood neath the day. Thank you, Jesus, that because of your work, we're made new, we're justified. We stand here. You cause us to stand in your presence. Amen. Let's sing along. Another song will be on the screen, Great Things, a song that just simply says, we've been awakened to new life in Christ Jesus. Sing it if you know
Amen, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Well, welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. We are so glad that you are here this morning. And we have some great things coming your way. So I want everybody to pull out your phones because you're going to need them for this next little segment. So pull out your phones. If you have an Android, you can shade that. That's okay. We won't judge you. Hey, first date, first date, November 5th. November 5th, we're having a marriage enrichment time here at Fellowship. It actually is going to begin at 3.30 p.m., and that'll give everybody an opportunity to continue your Sunday night community group plans or whatever, or come to that as a community group. We've got a great speaker lined up. We've got a great testimony, and really, this is an insight. It's a preview into our re-engage ministry. So if you want to see what re-engage is all about, then come. So if you're a married person, you're an engaged person, and you want to have a time, a little uh, steroid shot, so to speak, to your marriage, come that night and and hear some great content and hopefully get a little healthier in your marriage. Um, Hey, next week, we're starting a new training center class. Dr. Ted Leonard will be teaching it called In Defense of the resurrection. So if you are into apologetics, if you want to learn how to defend or to commend the faith, then Ted's really a great asset to us as a church. It's a four-week class, and it begins next week at the 1030 service. You can sign up for that online. And then parents, if you've got a fourth or fifth grader, uh, next weekend is our link retreat. And so it's a great opportunity for you to spend some more intensive time with your fourth and fifth grader. And so we really want you to sign up for that. It's going to be an incredible time for us. Hey, while you got your phones out, here's what I want you to do. Go to fellowshiprogers.org. Fellowshiprogers.org. I'll show you something that's really cool that's very helpful for a day like today. If you go to fellowshiprogers.org, the first thing that's gonna pop up is our current service. And if you'll just scroll up, about the third button down, it says teaching slides. Ah, there's the workaround, teaching slides. So if you're type A and you can't stand for things to be broken and today's gonna send you into counseling without the screen, I just want you to know the teaching slides are right there and you can pull those up and follow along on your, your phone and you will be good for today. Hey, let's all take a deep breath. Man, there's a lot going on in the world. And I don't know about you, but I've had to actually have the discipline to turn the news off a little bit this week. And um, we've got people that are suffering around the world. And I thought we might just pray. Pray for people in Gaza and Israel and Ukraine and other places as we continue our worship this morning. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, we pray for peace in our world. We pray for those that are suffering in Israel. We pray for those that are suffering in Gaza. And we pray for the leaders of our world to bring this to resolution. And we pray that those who have lost a loved one, Lord, to be able to find peace in our only hope in this world, and that's Jesus. We pray for those in Ukraine who are still suffering, that you would bring peace And Lord, we pray that you would bring peace to our hearts this morning. Many of us are going through stuff right here. And I pray that as we enter this time of singing and giving and and learning, Lord, that you would meet us in this place. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We thank you that we have you to turn to. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.
God's love for us. How vast beyond all
perfectly A great high priest whose name is love Whoever lives and lives for me My name is graven on his hand My name is written on his heart I know that while in heaven he Song can bid me thence depart. No tongue can bid me thence depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of guilt within, upward I stay here. We're going to stay here, band, just for a little while. I want to go back to a section of this song. And it's the verse 
that talks about when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the he lies. So you can pause that path that's in A um, and stay in C. Upward I look and see him there. When, when, when Satan tempts us to despair, when he's trying to, to convince us of who we are not anymore because we've been placed into Christ, we have a place to look. Amen. And it's not within. It's not at ourselves. Where is it? Upward I look and see him there. Who is him? Jesus. Can we say it together? Jesus. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just, man, he's a just God. Amen. He's got to do something with it. He's, there, there's a price that had to be paid. God the just was satisfied to look on him. Who is him? Jesus. And pardon who? Me. Wow. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul's now counted free. Was satisfied to look on him in pardon. To look, to look on him in pardon. Me, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise the dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you, made us, those who have believed the good news about Jesus. Then God made us alive with Christ. He forgave our sin. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it. He destroyed it by nailing it to the cross of Jesus Christ. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. I trade old for the new. I trade lies for the truth. And I throw off these old chains and hold fast unto you. I cling to the cross. My Savior bled, but grace found a way to bring death to an end, a beautiful rest. When love paid my debt, so I'll sing your praise, so I'll sing your praise all of my days, your blood flowing down like oceans of grace, my sin swept away. Christ. 
thank you that you've given us a place to go you've given us a place to look when it comes to our right standing with you and his name is jesus it's a person he's our shelter he's that he's he's the he's the the mystery now revealed the shelter our hiding place it is jesus so thank you for giving us a place to rest spiritually rest just like the author of of Hebrews encourage us and even pleads with us to enter that rest. Father, help us if we haven't already. Enter that rest that only Jesus gives. We'll give you the glory. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. You guys sing better without the screen. We may just kill it. <laughs> that was sweet. Imagine the scene, if you will. You, you stand at the gates of heaven. 
You're overwhelmed by just the beauty and the, the majesty of what is before you. It, it takes your breath away. It sends chills up and down your spine. And, and while you stand in awe of the scene before you, you hear a voice. You realize that you're being asked a question. And suddenly the weight of the moment becomes a reality. You're in the presence of the Lord. And the question is simple, yet it is surreal. The question's this. Why should you be let in the gates? Why should the almighty, holy, sovereign God allow you, a sinful person, to live in his presence for all eternity? What a monumental question. What would you say? On what basis do you claim to have right standing with God? Or simply put, why should you go to heaven? And do you have an answer? Now I want you to hold on to that question because we're going to return to it later. But right now, open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. In our passage today, we're going to hear from the Apostle Paul. He is going to write to the first century church at Philippi about this very thing. We are actually in week seven of a 12-week series studying this New Testament letter. This is a prison epistle. Paul wrote this while imprisoned in Rome. And so far in our study, we've seen Paul express his fondness for the church at Philippi. And he's updated them on both his predicament and that he gave them assurance that the gospel message was still advancing despite his chains. And he had given his friends assurance that he was good with whatever happened in his future. And then we've seen him challenge the Philippians to live worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And he gave them several examples to look to. So now as we turn the page and we dive into chapter 3, we'll see that Paul delivers some instruction on doctrine. This was the pattern in the Apostle Paul's letters. He would instruct people on godly living as well as Christian doctrine. He addressed um, Christian practice as well as Christian belief. So for the next three weeks in here, we're actually going to be doing some theological thinking. We're going to study the doctrinal part of the letter, and that makes me very excited. So let's get going. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. They say this. Further, my brothers and sisters... Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul indicate, indicated here a transition in the letter with the word Further, as you read in the NIV. Most translations actually use the word finally, but, but 
Knowing that we're only halfway through the letter and that Paul is far from finished, I think the NIV translators got it right. He said, further, my brothers and sisters, or, hey, here's the next thing I want to address with you. He said, rejoice in the Lord. This is the fifth time that we've seen that word rejoice show up in the letter. You can add to that four uses of the word joy in just the first two chapters Both words will be used again in the final chapter of the letter. This reoccurrence tells us that this theme is important. Joy is a primary message that we are to take from the letter to the Philippians. This may be surprising considering that Paul writes from a prison cell. But it was something that the apostle unashamedly wanted them to hear. He said, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Repetition is a vital part of learning. And he wanted to make sure that they, they got it. And note that they are to rejoice in the Lord. Christ alone is our source and the object of our joy. As a follower of Christ, our joy is independent of. It, is, it transcends our circumstance. So Paul reminded them to rejoice in the Lord. Whatever happens, in every circumstance, find joy in Jesus. Now, why would Paul say this? Why is he harping on this? Well, maybe it is because of what he's going to say next. Look at verse 2. Paul delivered a fiery warning. He said, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators, of the flesh, Paul alerted them to a likely danger. He said, watch out. He wanted them to beware. He wanted to give them a heads up that there was a looming threat. And his words of warning are followed by a surprising statement. Paul alerted them about a potential adversary through a a rather salty threefold description. He said, watch out for those dogs, those evil doers, those mutilators of the flesh. This is strong language. Paul is describing and warning against a particular group of false teachers that were very prevalent in the first century. This group was known as the Judaizers. And they required additions to just faith in Jesus to be saved. They required the addition of religious works to faith. They required observance of the Old Testament law, especially the addition of circumcision to belief in Jesus for salvation. According to them, to go to heaven and to please God was Jesus plus. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus Jewish dietary restrictions. Jesus plus Sabbath observance. And the Apostle Paul is strongly refuting them and warning the Philippian church to watch out for them. Consider the terms used to describe the false teachers, dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. Let's start with that term, dog. This would have been extremely offensive in Paul's day. The the veracity or the offense of the insult does not translate into our context. When we say, when we hear Paul say, watch out for those dogs, you might say, oh, good dogs. 
I want to see a dog. Can I pet a dog? I love dogs. Most Americans think positively about dogs. They're cuddly, happy, tail-wagging best friends, right? This was not so in the first century. Dogs were scavengers, not pets. They were considered unclean, carriers of filth and disease. So to use that term dog was to describe someone who was religiously unclean, someone far from God. So let me give you an equivalent of what we might say in America. What is something that would be vile or unclean that upon seeing it, you would squirm and certainly not want to co-mingle with? How about a maggot? Is that pretty good? How many of you see maggots and go, yes, love them? Or how about a rat? How about a rat? So imagine the Apostle Paul saying, watch out for those maggots, those rats. Does that translate? Those vile, gross, repulsive, unclean people. Now for Paul to use this kind of divisive language, this kind of insulting language, there must be something important that he's trying to refute. He goes on to get more specific and he says, watch out for those evildoers. Your translation may say evil workers. The second term is starting to be more specific to what Paul was trying to contend against. He called them evildoers, meaning that they were requiring doing in order to find right standing. The requirement of adding works to earn God's approval was an evil teaching, so Paul called them evil doers. Just a reminder, it is not our striving. It is not our working that gets us to heaven. I am so glad that you are here at church this morning. But God does not love you or accept you more because you are here. And I'm not encouraging you to stay home. But somehow we've convinced ourselves that our good works earn God's love. And Paul called that teaching evil. He goes on to get really specific and he says, thirdly, you dogs, you evildoers, you mutilators of the flesh. He was specifically referring to something that was wrong in their teaching. They were requiring the addition of circumcision to faith in Jesus to be saved. And Paul strongly disagreed. He said, circumcising yourself does not earn right standing with God. You're merely mutilating your flesh. Look at verse three. Paul actually flips the script on them. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision, using that word circumcision to describe God's people. It's we who are the ones God's pleased with, who bear the mark of the Lord, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. To the Judaizers, he said, you're trying to show yourselves to be the true people of God, the true believers, through taking the sign of circumcision. But actually, 
It is we, it is we, the Philippian church, it is we, the apostle Paul and his followers who are the true ones who bear the mark of God. And then he gives a balancing threefold description of them in their true belief. He says, we, are, we serve God by his spirit. True believers in Jesus are marked by the Holy Spirit. He is our sign, our seal, our guarantee, and our deposit, not some religious ceremonial mark. True believers trust in Christ. He says, it is we who are the circumcision because we boast in Christ and not our own striving. And then he says, it is we who put no confidence in the flesh. True believers recognize that there is nothing that we can add to the faith to earn God's approval. Therefore, we can put no confidence in the flesh or our own works or our religious behaviors. Paul taught that right standing with God comes through faith in the work of Jesus plus nothing. Plus nothing. Now what comes next in the letter is actually really interesting. Because the apostle Paul is going to take time to illustrate the last words of verse 3. We have no confidence in the flesh as a strategy for pleasing God. And he wanted to prove the futility of trusting in works of the flesh. And he does so by using the Judaizers' thinking and then tells his own story. Look at verse 4. He says, though I myself have confidence, have reasons for such confidence. He said, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he tells his religious heritage story. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul said, hey, let me do something unconventional here. Let me actually follow the heretical thinking of these false teachers. So if what they say is true, that you can earn God's approval through Jesus plus stuff, if we could put confidence in our works, if our religious heritage or history or activity can earn right standing with God, then I have confidence I would be number one on the AP poll. And then he presented to them somewhat of a religious resume. He said, I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrew. He goes on, he describes his ancestry. Then he describes his, Eric, his, his education. I was a, a Pharisee. And then he describes his zealousy and saying, I was even a persecutor of the church. And then he said, when it comes to righteousness, in obedience to the law, I was faultless. The apostle Paul was saying, look, if you can earn your way to heaven through religious heritage and through religious striving, I am definitely in. Aren't you glad that we don't think like that? Oh, oh, oh. 
Do you keep a copy of your religious resume ready to hand to God when you feel like he doesn't love you? Do you keep a list of things that you do? Just in case God ever asks you why you should get into heaven? (laughs) We certainly do. Here are some things I hear people say. You know, I grew up in church. Awesome. I was there three times a week. Great. I spent every summer at vacation Bible school. I was in the youth group. I worked as a counselor at camp. I served on a mission trip to Guatemala. I went through confirmation class when I was 12. This is my favorite. I hear this one a lot, and I'm not sure why. My grandfather was a pastor. Awesome. Maybe he'll wave to you from heaven one day. I was on the church finance committee. I packed Operation Christmas boxes, and you know that gets you in. I gave money to a missionary. I gave money to the church building campaign. I lead a community group. I've completed all of the training center classes, including Panorama Plus, verse 12. And while I do all my religious thinking, I always listen to KLRC. (laughs) I don't cuss or drink or smoke or dance. I've seen all three seasons of The Chosen. Do you keep a list? Do you have it ready? Just in case you find yourself at the gates and they ask you why you should be let in? And do you keep a list of why others shouldn't get in? Have you ever found yourself saying, I can't believe they call themselves a Christian because they fill in the blank? Watch Yellowstone. I'm just saying. You see, Jesus plus thinking is subtle. We want to ready ourselves and make a case before the Lord on why he should accept us. There's this guilt-driven part of us that wants to perform before the Almighty. And Paul said, hey, if you think you've got reasons for confidence, I have more. If anyone could climb the ladder because of their adherence to Judaism, the Apostle Paul said, it is me. So in verses four to six, Paul followed the logic of the false teachers. He worked out their equation in his own life. But then look at verses seven and eight. He gives a radical reversal. He upends their claim with one of my favorite passages in all of the scripture. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might gain So after setting up his pre-Christ religious resume, his achievements, Paul rejected them. He swept the legs out from under his own self-righteousness. He refuted his own credentials. And he used accounting terminology to make his point gain and loss. 
He moved all that once populated his gain column to the other side of the ledger. His debits became credits. His assets became liabilities. What once were gains, he now considered loss for the sake of Christ Jesus. He now made one boast, one claim for right standing, and that was faith in Jesus. He said, I'll no longer trust in any part of my religious resume. He went beyond that, though, and he said, I consider everything a loss when compared with the value or the ROI or the the worth of knowing Jesus. He said, my restored relationship with Jesus supersedes everything else. He went to the extreme and said, I actually consider everything garbage or rubbish that I might gain Christ. I think that those things actually kept me from Jesus and I now despise them. Now, this letter was written in ancient Greek and that term translated as garbage or rubbish actually comes from a a Greek word that's borderline and expletive. And what it meant was refuse or dung. The Apostle Paul said that those items on his resume actually belong in the toilet and not on the trophy shelf. They meant nothing to him now that he had found a right relationship with God through his son, Jesus. He said, now that I found Jesus by grace, through faith alone, I consider everything else a loss. And he was willing to rip up his resume. Now, after coming to know Jesus, Paul experienced this radical renewal in his thinking, and he was operating under a different economic system where a gain was a loss, where all things were garbage, and where knowing Jesus was of surpassing worth. What once was a source of pride needed to be abandoned. What once was cherished now needed to be tossed on the rubbish heap and The greatest values found in intimacy with the creator, not in religious pride. You could summarize his thinking this way, that all is lost compared to gaining Christ. All is lost compared to gaining Christ. We can do nothing to merit right standing with the Lord. And being in right relationship with the creator of the universe has immeasurable value. So think about it with me. If knowing Christ is of greatest value, if intimacy with Jesus is the top priority, and if that relationship cannot be earned or bought or achieved or merited through anything we bring to the table, then all is lost compared to gaining Christ. So you may be wondering, well, if we don't work our way to heaven, Like if me coming to church today doesn't give me at least some sort of of check in a column of favor before God, if me resisting temptation or if me committing to service doesn't help me, then how do I get a right relationship with the Lord? How do we get there? Well, Paul made it clear in verse nine. He said, we find right standing with the Lord by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. He says, I wanna be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Hear me. We don't gain forgiveness and access to heaven and intimacy with our creator. We don't gain restoration through our works, but only through faith, trust, belief in his son. Right standing is not earned through stacking up enough good deeds on this earth, but only through looking upon the son on the cross. Paul's teaching was simple. It is Faith in Jesus plus nothing. That's it. Now, theologically speaking, this passage is actually addressing the doctrine of justification. That's what we sang about in the song earlier. And let me remind you of what justification is. I love Dr. Wayne Grudem's definition. He says this, justification is an instantaneous It's when you express your faith. An instantaneous legal declaration of complete forgiveness and attainment of Christ's righteousness. Justification is the theological explanation of a believer attaining right standing before God. It's the act of God declaring us righteous on the basis of Christ's death and him declaring us completely forgiven of our sin. And it's God's free gift which we receive by faith. It is an incomprehensible transaction. When Christ was on the cross, he bore the weight of our guilt and shame. By grace, through faith, our sin was assigned to him and his righteousness was credited to us. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And our only effort is responding to his grace. All we are required to do is to turn, to repent from sin and to turn and believe in Jesus. That's it. Galatians 2.16 explains it perfectly. It says this, know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Can it get any more simple than that? Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing is everything. I love what Dr. Philip Ryken says concerning the gospel. He said, consider what the gospel says. It does not tell us that we have what we have to do to please God. Instead, it announces that God is already pleased with us through our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that God saves sinners through faith in the sacrifice of Jesus. Paul closes this section in verses 10 and 11, declaring his passion for knowing um, the Lord. He said this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. His deepest desire was to foster intimacy with the one who saved him by mercy. His sole focus and priority was to know 
Christ, his prized possession, his prized pursuit was to be in a loving relationship with his creator. And Paul eagerly awaited the fulfillment of his faith for he knew that one day he would enter those gates and dwell with the resurrected savior forever. According to Paul, all is lost compared to gaining Christ. And I hope that we have that heart as well. Back to the gates of heaven. So you're standing there and there's silence before the heavenly beings as they await your answer to the question, why should you be let in? And as you're pondering your answer, Billy Graham walks up. And I know the math doesn't work out, but work with me. It's an illustration. Billy Graham, one of the great men of God, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, walks up to the gates of heaven, and of course they say, pardon me, and they let him go before you. And he's asked the same question. Why should we let you in? Now, you would think that he would have some sort of a fast pass or something. You would think that he might say, you know, you've probably heard of me, we're good. But he simply bows his head and he says, I don't deserve to enter. I am a sinner and deserve to remain outside the gates. And all of my good deeds and all of my Religious activities are nothing compared to the weight of my offense. So I have one hope. My one appeal is that you would show me mercy based on my faith in Jesus. And I'll put all my hope in his blood shed for me on the cross. And the gate opens up. And he goes on through. So then the question comes back to you. Why should you be allowed in? On what basis do you find right standing with a holy God? Why should you go to heaven? Would you be willing to rip up your religious resume? Would you be willing to withhold all of the evidence that you've built up over the years, your your good works, your righteous behavior, your resistance of temptation, your Christian service, your kindness that you've exhibited, the songs you've sang, the trips you've taken, the money you've given? Would you be willing to be silent on that and put no confidence in the flesh and simply boast in Jesus. No matter how many times I've heard it or read it, as an American citizen, it cuts against the grain, doesn't it? And it's hard to find our identity simply in the love and forgiveness of Christ given to a sinner like me and like you. Would you pray with me? And I want to give you time just to do some business with God this morning.
Maybe you need to confess some religious pride. Maybe you need to express gratefulness for the mercy of God given on your behalf. Maybe you're here today and you've had an aha moment. It's the first time you've ever realized that it's not what you do that gets you to heaven. It's because of what he did. And you right now need to express to the Lord that you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus, period. And ask him to save you. I'll give you a moment to pray to the Lord between your heart and his. you've made it abundantly clear today from your word that it's Jesus plus nothing. So Lord, we boast only in him. We thank you that you've shown mercy to people like us. Forgive us for trying to add to the gospel and we rest in it today. It's in Jesus' name, the risen Savior, we pray. Amen.
unnecessary burden as a child of God that the truth this morning has set you free Barry he's in the prayer room just remember to my left to your right there is a prayer room Barry will be in there he's available to pray with you if you want to pray with somebody this morning and if not be safe have a great day and we'll see you next week